As you may or may not know, we've been doing uh, trajectories through the Bible, reading the Bible backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards. And we are hitting, I think, an exciting one again this week. Creation, new creation of God's cosmic plan of redemption. I missed the word there, of redemption, that's alright. So, we're just going to spend a couple minutes on these questions. Have you ever thought about the relationship between God as Creator and God as Redeemer, creation and redemption, whether that should matter? Alright, so as people come down, invite them into the discussion you're having at your table. The first one is, why does it matter that God is, as the Nicene Creed puts it, Creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible? What would matter, practically, if we didn't believe that? We just chopped off that part of the creed. What would change in your life? Similar question, what would change both theologically and practically if Christ wasn't involved in creation, but only redemption? Alright? Just toss around, you may not have any idea. Um, Just toss around what comes to mind so that we're starting to think about the same topic. Go. It would all be random, okay. So it's some sort of purpose. 
if there's no blueprint, then how do we know if anything is wrong? Ah, okay. If there's no blueprint, how do we know if anything's wrong? If there's no blueprint, what's the plan for redemption? This is a similar point, which we're going to talk about. Anybody else? Omnipotence. It seems to minimize, yeah, his power. Anybody else? The sovereignty. The sovereignty? Yeah, I think you guys are getting at important points as far as what does Scripture say when it talks about God as creator? Look at all that I have created, I am powerful. Or look at all I have created, I am, you cannot go anywhere where I am not. We're going to look at some of those things. All right, that's just to get us started on uh, creation, new creation, and the cosmic plan of redemption is what we're talking about. Really trying to see creation and redemption as almost synonymous at times. Redemption as new creation, creation itself as a type of redemption. Um, and we're going to see that through all of creation. I'm going to go at times quickly through some main points, but then I want to settle in at a couple uh, important passages, especially Romans 8. We're going to end at Romans 8. All right? Um, so feel free to jump in with a question, but that is where we're headed. So first, when you think about creation, obviously you probably think first of uh, Genesis, we don't have time to go into all the details that are packed into even Genesis 1 and 2. But I'm, I'm mentioning the importance of creation in this context, meaning what do we think God is arguing for when he wrote Genesis 1 and 2? When he told us certain things about creation, how he did it, how he did not, what he included, what he did not. There's actually an argument being made, a thesis being made, in Genesis 1 and 2 itself that sets up the rest of Scripture. Um, and once I think we see that part, it's going to affect how we think about God's plan moving forward. Um, so just a couple points there. You could argue that the thesis of Eden and what God does in Eden is He is declaring this fact. I am Yahweh. The Lord of creation, Sabbath, enthroned in heavenly glory above the cherubim host who brought you out of the mud clay of the cloud and breathed into you life. You see that sort of argument being made in what you know of Genesis 1 and 2? That really the point is to declare who God is and what he has done to his people, for his people. Um, He's setting up this throne. Eden is portrayed as a kind of throne and also a kind of temple, a dwelling place of God. Um, one just hint of where we're going to go in a second is the mention of the Spirit of God. This is in verse 2 of Genesis. So the whole Bible starts this way, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's intentional. So remember that, that phrase, the Spirit of God was hovering. Another way to think of creation is setting it up, all moving towards the Sabbath rest that it climaxes in. Um, God's own rest points us to the Sabbath. Um, let's, let's sit a moment in Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, you may have... Um, plowed through about 30 chapters, waiting, waiting, waiting for what is the point here. Are these, are these friends good or bad? Someone let them in. 
are these friends good or bad? Do they know what they're talking about? Is Job patient? Is he not? Well, finally, God does show up. He does actually answer Job in chapter 38, and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Well, who stretched the line upon it? And he just goes on that same thread for another uh, chapter or two. What is he saying? Job, even all the things that have happened to you, still you need to realize who you are and who I am. God, the Creator. And Job does end up getting it. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So that's part of what you guys said as far as the importance of creation. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job coming in terms with God as creator leads him necessarily to repent. To fall on his face and say, you are the Lord and I am not. Psalm 8 is another good example. Um, But moving to the second, more of a main point is, what does it mean to think of creation as redemption? If you remember, the Genesis 1 was, I am the Lord your God, who sits on His throne, who took you out of the miry clay of the dust, and placed you in Eden. A very similar uh, thing happens with Israel in Exodus. And there are ways in which the story of all stories for Israel, right, is an exodus. And that itself is not only described as them being redeemed out of slavery, but they're being created anew. They're being given a whole new purpose. One way that that is, is shown, God's Spirit leads His people in the fire and the cloud and then hovers over His people to protect them from the wrath of the destroyer on the Egyptians firstborn. So the spirit throughout the Exodus is leading them, that same spirit that was hovering over the waters at creation. So whenever we see spirit or the glory cloud or the fire, that's the same creator spirit back in Genesis 1. And I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there seems to be a good case to make that Passover is a is a not a best translation for what that uh, what God was doing when he saved them. Instead of uh, just passing over Israel, it seems like actually God was hovering over Israel. The Spirit was hovering over Israel, and they were taking refuge in the wing, like in the wings of an eagle. There's a phrase that gets used throughout Scripture. They're taking refuge in this Spirit that hovers over them as this angel destroyer destroys those who are outside of the threat. Um, so it's a, it's a really cool sort of connection there. Um, another connection being once the tabernacle and the temple get um, get built in in the, late in the Exodus is the tabernacle and then it gets built later in the temple by Solomon. Um, those things get portrayed as an Eden. 
So why would it be that the place where you go to experience redemption, forgiveness of sins, of God's presence as a dwelling place, has characteristics of Eden? There are cherubim that block the entrance to the temple, just like there were cherubim that blocked the entrance to Eden. It's actually a really cool kids' book if you're interested. The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. If anyone's curious, the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. That is actually amazing in its biblical theology of understanding this: that they were first put into the garden, they were kicked out, then they were given the temple, and the curtain was to keep them out. And there were all these similar things, and the cross does the same thing with Jesus. Um, very cool. Anyway, um, all right. I want to I want to point to or I want to read Isaiah forty-two. Actually, I think I'm going to do forty-three. You can either listen or, or pull up your Bible. So Isaiah 43, this is in a, a really important section of Isaiah. After chapter 40, there's a lot of prophecies about the new Exodus that's coming. He's going to do it again. But notice how he says it. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Reminding us that who God is. He created us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, the waters of judgment, but also the waters of cleansing and and redemption, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And then if we jump down, um, let's see. You are my witnesses and my servants. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And then in verse 16, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. This is all reminding them of the first exodus. And then he says, I am doing a new thing. We're sorry. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. So he's, he's just talked all about, I am the one who has created you, and I am the one who has redeemed you in the first Exodus. But at this point in Israel, they're, they're a thousand years beyond, after the Exodus, they're in exile. And now God is saying, you don't even have to remember that. That's how great this new one's going to be. That, that should be very striking. I mean, the one thing they were supposed to remember was the Exodus, the Passover, the fact that God took them out of Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land. And now he's saying, just wait and see what I'm going to do now. Wait till you see this new redemption. Because he is the Creator who is their only Savior and Redeemer. Um, all right, so we've had importance of creation being God has been enthroned and he's pulled us out of the miry clay to be a living spirit. And then we've had um, creation as redemption being portrayed as uh, uh, God is the same God. And our new, Israel, in that point, Israel's new creation or Israel's redemption becomes a sort of new creation. But obviously new creation is a key theme in the New Testament. So we're going to see it here in Christ, specifically. Then we're going to see it amazingly in the church. And then 
we're going to see it in all of creation. All of these things coming together. So first in Christ. This should uh, remind you of Easter if you were here last Sunday. Uh, seeing Christ as the second Adam. Or the last Adam or the new Adam. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what has Christ already gone through? He was born as a man of dust, but the resurrection is the first fruits of the Spirit of being the man of heaven. Being the new creation. He's the first one of the new creation. Um, The spiritual body that he has. Whatever that means, right? But it's a body. There's continuity there. There's a body. Um, Alright. I'm going fast intentionally because I want to sit in Romans 8 for a while. So then, the amazing thing of, of what happened in Christ now is happening in the church. We are described as being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you? That's incredible! Do you see what he just said? This isn't just remember who God is, not even just remember that God is the Creator, and that's the same God that you get to worship, or you agree that He exists, or things like that. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, all the way back in Genesis 1, is shining, same word, He's saying, that's the same thing that's happening in you. I don't know what else to say. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> and then in the next chapter of the same letter is where we have the famous uh, passage, if anyone is in new creation, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is also similar as far as uh, being born again, being born from heaven, having a new a new nature. It's It's a connected to how we should understand sanctification? Why would that be? Because sanctification is described as living into this new life, this new creation that we have. Romans 6, we're told we were buried therefore with Him 
by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So regeneration, being born again, being declared a new creation in Christ, means the reason we should pursue holiness is, that's who you are now. You're a new sort of person. Now we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies, as we're going to see in Romans 8. But you are a new sort of person. The emphasis in the New Testament is on that bold statement. When Romans 6 answers the question of, if I'm just going to be forgiven, why don't I just keep on sinning? It doesn't say be thankful, or use the gifts that you have, or those things, which are fine. It says, so you are now. Why would you go... Why, why would you go back to prison when you were just released? This is who you are now. Because God has made you a new creation just as He made the first. And God was active in you. That second point, God was active in you before you even converted as far as getting a sense of our calling and whatnot. Alright, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to Romans 8. Now this is going to uh, put all of this together, I think, on Christ and then what we're waiting for. Where, where all of creation now then is going to be said to be redeemed. Okay? Um, you can also go to Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, Revelation 22, where the tree of life is mentioned, um, connecting Genesis 1 to the very end of Revelation. But, I want to look at Romans 8. So, you can either, uh, you can follow your Bible if you want. <laughs> Because there's a lot of main themes that get pulled together in Romans 8. You may know Romans 8 as, because of the first verse and because of the last few verses, which themselves are very amazing. The first verse being, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The last few verses being, What can now separate me from the love of God in Christ? Can death, persecution, sore, famine, nakedness, all that stuff cannot. So it's got these two incredible bookends and emphases, and sometimes I think we lose what's going on in the middle. So we're going to spend some time in the middle. Alright. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life, because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now that that already gives us hints in where he's moving. Because he is he has made some incredible statements right there already in the fact that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you now. And that also is the same Spirit that created the whole world. The same one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And the assumption being, Jesus' body has already been redeemed, and your mortal bodies is going to be given life. Meaning your mortal body hasn't yet been. That's part of what we're waiting for. Alright? Um, because... If our mortal bodies aren't given life, if we just, when we die, we live as ghosts, soul-type ghosts for the rest of eternity, then God has not redeemed our mortal bodies, has given up on creation, 
even though he made it and said it was good. So we, ne- we don't ever want to forget the fact that the Christian hope is not heaven when we die. Although that is the great hope that we get to be face to face to Jesus, as Paul says. The full Christian hope is the redemption of all creation. Just like Jesus' body is going to be our, our physical body and the physical earth being redeemed. Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now that word son is going to be important. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We are, we are sons, even all you women are sons in this case, because you share in the inheritance of the firstborn Son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, that's why he's, he's talking about adoption here. We're being adopted into the family and we share the, the firstborn inheritance. The one who had it by nature gives it to us by grace. The one who did it as the second Adam gives us his, his redemption into, the, into his same uh, uh, nature. Um, I think that's all. Okay, moving on. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory. Another thing about the glory, too, is the glory of God is what dwells in the temple. The glory of God is what they were intimate with in Eden. The glory spirit, the glory cloud is what led them through Exodus. And now he's saying the glory that is going to be revealed to us that had been shown in our hearts... Right now, it's shown in our hearts. Remember that long phrase, the glory of the not here. The, gl- the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory has been shown in our hearts by faith. It's that same glory of spirit, but it hasn't been shown fully because our bodies are still mortal. All right. For the creation, this is verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Revealing of the full church. Well, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, being God the Father, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but we hope. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, let me stop there for a second. Uh, I think the 
the redemption of our bodies holds together um, sort of what we're trying to get at with this, this trajectory as far as our bodies have not been redeemed yet. We have tasted redemption because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The same Spirit, da, 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 same Spirit, same Spirit. That's already done all these other things. But we're waiting for the full manifestation of the redemption of the Spirit, which is going to include our bodies. And our bodies are connected to the creation. And our bodies are connected to the sinful nature, the, the, the broken world that we still share in. And that's why there's this conflict between the Spirit and the flesh that he talked about earlier in the chapter. So we live in this conflict that's described as creation itself groaning. There's a connection that you see all the way back in Genesis that we were made to have this relationship with the physical creation, with material creation that has been screwed up, that has been broken, and even that is going to be fully redeemed. Once all the, the sons of God, all those who have been adopted in Christ, is revealed, which hasn't happened yet. Right? We're still in a time of repentance. We're still in a time where people can come to Christ in response to what he's done. Um, and we, let's see. And we, so verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That too is a verse that gets lost because 28 is so famous. What I I read first is so famous. Uh, For those who love God, all things work together for good. Right? But 29 is, the whole point is that we are being conformed to the image of His Son, which again holds together all these huge themes. Why is it so important that we are being conformed to the image of His Son? The Son is the one who was the firstborn among many brothers. In Hebrews it says, He wasn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He partook of our nature, and now we're being conformed to His image as the second half, as the, the humanity we were meant to be, as the creation that God had intended. Um, done. Uh, two minutes left. Wow. Everything clear? Pretty easy? Yes, Bill. I, I think one of the most uh, well-known phrases, verses in the Bible, says that for uh, God so loved the world. Yeah. But I think too many people think of that as we people are the world. Hmm. No, the creation, the world, yes. the cosmos, yes. is everything yes. that God created. Uh, and so when we think of humanity, as being the, the, the thing that is being redeemed from yeah. God's creation, we're limiting God. Yeah. He's recreating the whole, the whole thing. The whole thing. Because it was all very good. Yes. And I think we, we, we miss that somehow. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And we're not looking to be taken away from material creation. We're not looking to escape. No. 
We're looking to share in the full redemption the whole creation of the whole creation. It's groaning. Yeah, it's groaning. Now, the curse was placed upon not just man, yeah. the earth. On the earth. Curse yeah. by God in yeah. Genesis uh, 3. Amen. And that curse is being removed. Amen. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. My kids ask, "Well, are there going to be bees in heaven?" I said, "I don't really know, but their stings won't hurt. There could be bees." Now we shouldn't expect, right? What? Yeah, right, right. Nothing honey. No mosquitoes. No mosquitoes. Definitely no mosquitoes. And ticks. We shouldn't expect to see creation. Creation uh, or our mortal bodies experiencing this right now. We shouldn't expect it because it's not happening right now. We're still one step behind Christ. But working in concert with where that's going is getting a little sort of foretaste of it. We're seeing, yes, our bodies will be redeemed. And as doctors heal someone, that's kind of like a little picture of that. That doesn't redeem the body. Even in the same way that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he ended up dying again. But this is kind of a little picture of it. Um, any other questions, thoughts? So Paul's hope, Paul ends with such joyful and confident boasting because he already tastes the, the redemption of all creation by the Spirit. And so he can boast in his sufferings way back in chapter 5 of Romans because the hope has been placed in his heart and he knows that that won't put him to shame. Because the hope is connected to what we just read. The hope of Christ. The Christ who is the one who is ahead of us. We're connected to him, but he's redeemed in a redeemed body. Uh, and so he can boast where he goes to the end of eight is in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All of these things only show the fact that our mortal bodies haven't been redeemed yet. They don't they don't show anything. If there's an argument being made, suffering doesn't prove to me that God is against the world or or any sort of, of negative even my own sin doesn't prove to me that God is against me because it's already been taken care of by Christ, and He has passed through the other end of our sin, death, and suffering to be exalted in heaven. What else is left to prove to take us away from the love of God in Christ? Seems to be where He's, he's left. Alright, let's pray for the meal which is here. And maybe we can have a little evening before kids get here. No promises. God, we praise you that you are indeed the creator and the redeemer, our only savior. You are mighty and holy, and uh, your grace and mercy uh, are steadfast and good. And we do pray that you would give us a, a due sense of that today as we experience your Sabbath rest, this, this pointer to the eternal Sabbath rest that we're going to experience uh, in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth. And so we thank you, Lord. We give you all praise and honor and ask that you would bless our food to our bodies, uh, that you do sustain them um, as we wait for them to be fully redeemed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.